Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, I'm Kirsty. I'm Kelsey. And it's time to hate watch with us. <laughs> Welcome to our Friday show for sarcastic people who are not tired at all. <laughs> You just sounded so happy to be here. <laughs> like you- I realized I was distracted and I was like, no. <laughs> In my head, I imagined you like popping out of a cake. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. <laughs> I love it. Keep bringing that energy. <laughs> That's how I'm getting through the longest week of my life. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> we owe you an episode. Because we made a huge mistake. (laughs) We made a huge mistake. I mean, I'm not sure I read it as a mistake. However, in retrospect, I might have done it differently the first time around. We didn't mean to give you false hope. We didn't mean for the false advertising. So two weeks ago, we told you we were doing an episode that included Outlander versus Game of Thrones. And then we got so distracted by all of our feelings... That we were like, fuck it, we don't have to do another segment. (laughs) I regret nothing. That episode is pure gold. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's the Mark Me episode of the Outlander Omnibus, and it was great. Yeah, it was great. Some of our best feelings happened. I know. In, like, the second half there. It was really fun. Y'all would have missed a lot of friendship feelings if we had decided to talk about Game of Thrones instead. Only one of us was drinking, and you can't even tell. Yeah. That's how lit it is. <laughs> so this week, we're finally making good on that promise, and we are going to talk about Outlander versus Game of Thrones, a topic which has been near and dear to our hearts since the moment we started watching Outlander. Probably prior to that, because we've hated the names for a long time. <laughs> it's true. We just didn't have, like, an effective outlet point of reference yeah Yeah. so this like actually gives us something to channel our dislike before when we complained about game of thrones we couldn't point to a better example right of what they were trying to achieve right and now we can (laughs) which feels like a more positive spin on being contrarian yeah like it sounds like this episode won't be full of grapes, but spoiler alert, it will. <laughs> also, spoiler alert, we're talking about the whole show, and I don't know, just be careful. Yeah. I get tired of spoiler warnings. Figure it out, people. It's our fourth omnibus. Yeah. You should know from the name that, like, we're talking about Outlander, so if you don't know anything about Outlander, like, proceed with caution. Yeah. I don't know. You can take care of yourselves out there. If I can do it, everyone can do it. It's true. It's true. Kelsey made it this long. I did. Yeah. So how do you want to kick off this expansive discussion? <laughs> um, I don't know. I have sort of like a list. I have a general thought. And yeah, if you want to you wanna just get us going, we'll see where this leads us. I want to start with big picture. Okay. I have one big picture thought, so <laughs> hopefully it'll suffice. Okay. <laughs> But a broad complaint that even fans of Game of Thrones have often, and that we've definitely complained about before, is that 
the universe of Game of Thrones has no rules yes. that make logical sense. And it's very difficult to figure out what is happening and what's real and what isn't because the rules bend as it's convenient to the narrative. Yep. And it makes it, I don't want to say it's not approachable, but it's just not easy. Right, right. Not that television has to be easy, but it's particularly irritating, I think, because the rules only apply when they feel like it. Right. And in most fantastical universes, there are set rules, whether it be a time travel thing or a Harry Potter thing or something like you know the rules of your universe. Right. And what I enjoy about Outlander is that it's different because it's not fully fantastical, right? It's, it's an American Girl story rooted in historical (laughs) fiction. But I appreciate that there is essentially one rule, one thing that's weird, and that is that there's dick rocks that transport you back and forth in time. Yeah. Possibly more than one place that this is happening, I guess. Yes. Based on the, like, end of season three. But regardless, like, it's not... Claire's also a magician sometimes. (laughs) It's not like we can take a dragon to wherever the fuck they go, Jamaica. Yeah. It's like you know the rules of the universe because the only thing that is weird in this universe is the thing that the whole show is based around. Right. And it's discussed in detail that it's kind of a mysterious thing that people don't understand. Well, they're smart to ride that line because I feel like when you're when you're outlining the mythology of your like fantastical universe you have to make a choice of like am i going to explain this thing in great depth and then be forced to follow my own rules or do i leave it kind of vague so i can play with it and i feel like what outlander chose to do which is easier for them because they only have the one fantastical element is to imply some things about the rules of time travel but not make it like super hard and fast yeah So, like, we know that the timelines are parallel in time travel. So when she travels back to the future, like, time in the past continues to move at the same rate. So when she goes to the past again, it's the same number of years later. Right. Like, that's a nifty thing to know. But then, like, Galus has a different timeline. Right. Yeah, Galus goes back to a, a different year somehow. And we know there's gemstones involved. We know gemstones are involved... Though they didn't explain how, which is like, okay. Yeah. But then it's also nifty because Galus misunderstands how it works and thinks you need a human sacrifice, but then it turns out that you don't. Which is like hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Casual misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like what was difficult for me about Game of Thrones in this sense is that their first two seasons probably in particular, two or three were very much trying to be rooted in the same, like, historical fiction category. Right. Where they were like, it takes seven episodes to travel from one place to another. Isn't life hard in the medieval times? Yep. And then they kind of decide, like, no, just kidding. There's, like, all this other weird shit happening and we're... Like, you always know you're in a, like, not real place. Right. But they try so hard to root it in a certain place that you know right that they kind of shoot themselves in the foot 
Well, it's like they went too far with the first option there where they're like, we're going to explain all of the hard and fast rules and hold ourselves accountable to it. And then they got to a certain point where they were like, but actually we don't feel like it anymore. And I feel like that's why you have so many people who complain about it because it is frustrating to spend the first three seasons spending all your time talking about how long the King's Road is and whatnot. And so you've spent so much time in the narrative just thinking about it and talking about it and making plot points out of it. And now suddenly Varys can be on four different parts of the continent in the same episode. And you're like, but why? Right. Where was this in season three when I didn't care? (laughs) Yeah. It's just so strange. And then it leads to all these unnecessary fan theories. Right. Well, and that is super frustrating because it, the reality is they just didn't feel like dealing with it in the narrative so they just sort of move people around the board but then people are like it's significant because game of thrones cares about detail they don't care about detail clearly not (laughs) (laughs) they've got too much on their hands they don't have time for the nitty gritties can you imagine if game of thrones had voiceover (laughs) oh my god no thank you it would be terrible but you know it is interesting like the travel thing in particular because outlander spends some time on, like, isn't life in medieval times hard? Mm -hmm. Like, it does take them a long time to travel. And they do talk about how certain things are, like, a three days ride. And they take a lot of ships places. And they, they take turns, like, showing the whole voyage over the course of, like, three episodes or not showing the whole voyage. But there's never a point at which when you're like, how did you get from there to Jamaica so fast? Right, there's an understanding that time has passed. Yeah, they like, it's not like there's a character who's like, and three months has gone by now. But right. they at least make it feel like it's plausible that time has passed. Yeah, Jamie grew that beard so that we knew that he had been in the Bastille for a little while. <laughs> yep. Well, and like, when you cut from one scene... Of, like, people in a place to, like, the next people who are implicated by the thing of the people in the place. It's understood that something has progressed in the meantime. And I feel like that's what Game of Thrones doesn't always do well, is, like, when you cut from one scene to the next, it's implied that all of those things are happening in parallel, when really there would have to be, like, a three to six month gap in between each of those scenes. Right. I think that kind of leads me into another path with Game of Thrones, but it's more of a ensemble sort of show. Right. And there's no one to root for. Right. Whereas on Outlander, it is very much focused on the two leads. Yep. And you definitely have many people to root for. Well, and this is like a slightly different part of that same argument, but you said it early on in our time with Outlander that there are fewer women in Outlander by like a lot. But the women in it are still doing better and more than the women of Game of Thrones. (laughs) But they're alive. (laughs) They're doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of their pacing issues in Game of Thrones is related to the fact that they feel this unnecessary need to check in with every single person. That's definitely true. And I find that Outlander does a really good job of sometimes only focusing on, like, one or two storylines. Thinking of, like, the Faith episode. Yep. 
And they don't need to also show you what's happening with Murtaugh and Fergus and Jamie and Gale, you know, like whoever. They don't have that like compulsion that everyone has to see their favorite character or else they're not going to watch anymore. Right. Well, and when you do have to check in with those characters because you have someone that you're focusing on and like building relationships through, it like feels like a purposeful use of time to go check in with them. Are you implying that there's character development? It's weird. I don't I don't totally understand how like that all works. Um, but that's often what it feels like. Weird. I know. It's novel. It's a really novel concept. Um speaking of character development. Yes. Do you want to talk about villain character development? Sure. Are we ready or do you not want to start there? We can start there. I have very no agenda or sentences. So I have bullet points that I'm just navigating us through. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Like the sea between Scotland and Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an ocean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally found an ocean deep enough, huh? <laughs> villains well you were the one who made this statement initially but it's very true uh game of thrones sort of hangs its hat on its villains specifically ramsey bolton yes and they love getting off on like gratuitous violence and torture because they think it's edgy and that people like it yeah (laughs) in a gross way and I would like to juxtapose him with our, f- I was going to say our friend, uh, <laughs> Sir Blackjack Randall. <laughs> yes. When I was watching the Wentworth episodes, this really struck me because the Wentworth episodes are two episodes of nonstop physical torture and rape. Just like- Brace yourselves, listeners. Yeah, brace yourself, like trigger warning all over the place. Um, and in that sense, it actually juxtaposes well with Ramsey because he has several series of episodes where all he's doing is torturing and raping various people. So that's like a pretty direct parallel, which we don't always have between the characters in these two shows. Yeah. And it was fascinating watching it play out because the Wentworth episodes to me felt like something I have never seen on television before, which is something so sadistic and so brutal and like awful that I didn't actually know that like it could be shown. Yeah, it's truly terrible. It is the most disturbing content that I have ever exposed myself to. And I've watched Game of Thrones. Like, I have seen those episodes, but I feel like Ramsey feels cheaper to me as a villain because I feel like in those scenes you can see the writers holding the puppet strings being like, ew, isn't he bad? Look at this bad thing he's doing to this guy. Isn't it gross? Look at all the blood. Do you see that there's blood here? Oh, we're going to cut off his penis. Doesn't that make you squirm? Ew. And then they're like, look at his daddy issues. Yeah. 
Like, isn't he just so evil? Everything about him is evil. Have you noticed that he's evil? <laughs> Let's put more characters in his path to see yeah. what he can think of to do to them. And then you can feel themselves, like, always trying to one-up them, like, themselves. It's a bad yeah. sentence. Words are hard. They are hard. <laughs> but... You can always feel them, like, trying to increase the stakes. And it's like, you know, he can be evil without having to try to do something worse every time he's on screen. Yeah. And I think that Blackjack Randall kind of has a path from episode one to Wentworth. But based on what we know and learn about him, it logically, like, doesn't surprise anyone. Right. And they're not trying to, like, titillate you by showing you this. No, there's the sensibility in the Wentworth episodes is so different. Like, I do not feel the writers in the back of Wentworth being like, ew, look at how bad this is. It's like, it's so much more gruesome because it's treated with respect, mm-hmm. which sounds like a weird thing to say when you know that a group of people had to stage torture and rape. But it felt like that whole plot line was created with a sense of reverence for the brutality that they were portraying. Obviously, both of these stories are based on a text. Right. And it felt like something that they seriously considered, do we need this or not to tell this story? Yep. That's actually, I hadn't thought about it in those terms before, but that is a really important distinction because the producers did go back and forth over whether or not to show that and particularly whether or not to show slash portray Jamie being raped. Because they thought about cutting it from the storyline entirely and then decided that it was necessary to the narrative. Whereas I've never read the Game of Thrones books, but it's my understanding that the show gave us more time with Ramsay and made Ramsay worse than he might have been in the books. And if I'm wrong about that, I'll own it. Uh, But that's been my understanding from reading like the recaps and stuff. And I, I know for sure that like all the stuff with Sansa wasn't in the books. Mm-hmm. And not just because she was a different character who was married to Ramsay and blah, 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 but that they, like, specifically added more brutality than was portrayed in the books. And I don't feel a narrative payoff for it. No, not at all. I feel like what we got from it is Sansa becomes a darker character, and it's only after she has killed Ramsay that she's allowed to ascend to any amount of power and respectability. And in my mind, a woman shouldn't have to be brutally raped in order to access power and Sick become Fergus self-actualized. <laughs> I came in too soon. It's fine. It's still true. It is true. <laughs> like, I think self-actualization should be allowed before that point. And even for Jamie, like, his rape isn't used as, like, his moment for self-actualization and, like, whatever. His, like, recovery storyline has a very different outcome for who he becomes than Sansa's does. And I feel like Sansa's is literally just... This is what she had to go through before she was allowed to be a character of importance, which is especially annoying. And this is like a whole other soapbox that I won't get on today. But it is. <laughs> <I> doubt that. <laughs> You're going to get a taste of it, but I won't give you the whole thing. 
Um, but it's especially annoying given that Sansa is the only traditionally female character on the show. Like, she's into embroidery. She believes in, like, princesses and romance. And, like, she is the embodiment of female ideals. And mm-hmm. she isn't taken seriously by anyone, including the fandom, until this most recent season. And she was only given that respectability because she became, like, darker and grittier. And she only achieved that because she was brutally abused and eventually raped for years. And that is horseshit. Yeah. It sure is. <laughs> like, I was reminded of this recently. I was listening to some podcast. I can't remember which one. But they referenced a scene in, I believe, season one or two. It's shortly after Sansa has been taken to King's Landing, where Tyrion has an interaction with her, and as she walks away, he says something to the effect of, like, you'll outlive us all. Mm -hmm. Because he recognizes very early on that she knows how to play the game. Yeah. And so she already had that in her character. You did not then have to continue to brutalize her. To give her that power. I don't know. The Daves (laughs) insisted that they did. Yep. There are two other female characters who they raped, who were not raped in the story, who only got to achieve power after they were raped. And it's just like, we all see what you're doing, Daves. Yeah. Outlander's also a gender reversal in a lot of ways to, like, traditional stories, so I thought it was... At least a story I had never heard before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before, and I definitely think it's tricky, so I don't want to be, like, misconstrued, but... No. I do think it's important that you have a portrayal of male rape, because that's not... I don't think rape should be a storyline, necessarily, because I don't think it should be trivialized, but you also get so much of it with female characters... And you never see that for men. And no, it's it's a story that deserves to be told. Yeah, I agree. But I think what's interesting about Blackjack, too, that makes it all the more disturbing is that we spend time getting character development out of him. It's not like he's thrown at us and they're like, this guy's evil. Watch him do stuff. And it's not like his... Torturing Jamie is the only thing that happens to conclude his story. Right. We see more from him afterwards. And it continues to be... He continues to be like a villain that kind of haunts him a little bit. Yep. But it also leads to some good moments of storytelling, particularly um, stuff with his brother. Yeah. And um, what's her face? Mary? Mary, yeah. That stuff, and um, when Claire sort of ends up telling him his when he's going to die. Yep. And that becomes, like, sort of this ominous cloud that follows him around in a really interesting way. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important and well played that we have moments, we have these, like, ebbs and flows with him where we feel sympathy for him, like, the whole thing with his brother is that there's part of him that's still human enough to feel. Yeah. And he loves his brother as much as a sadist can love anything. And he's self-aware. Like, he knows that he's gross. Yeah. There's so much complexity to that character that there's, like, a way to be connected to him, even though you're, like, 
really disturbed by him. And that, to me, augments what makes him disturbing. Yeah. Because it, it's like the whole thing Claire is battling with with him, where it's like, I still feel like you're a human, so I can't understand why you are so bad. Yeah. Versus when you have someone who's just like, you know, Jigsaw from the movie Saw, where you're <laughs> like, oh, so you're just gross. Yeah. Like, there's no story to tell if you're just gross. No, not at all. Many of Ramsey's victims, I'm thinking of Theon, don't really get a story either. Right. right. Like, they've tried, but it's basically like, oh, you sad sack. Right. There's no really, like, vindictive story or, like, a even a human story that comes out of that. Well, I guess that's where most people would say, like, Sansa is that, right? Because she, like eventually murders him with his own dogs and that's like savage and then she ascends to power and takes over Winterfell and it's like haha screw you Ramsay. But but Theon doesn't get that. No, Theon doesn't get that. And Jamie does. Yeah. Yep. In fact, everyone that Blackjack came for. Yeah. Like comes out the other side doing okay. Doing better than yeah. Blackjack at least. It's true. Um do you want to take it in a new direction? Sure. What else you got for me? A fun, positive spin. Okay. Let's compare and contrast. Ooh. (laughs) Opening sequences. Oh, okay. Because both of these shows have title sequences. They sure do. That are fairly long. Yes. And intricate. In different ways. And that do a fair bit of lifting in terms of storytelling for the season to come. Yes. All right. Well, I'll lay out our options here. Okay. Game of Thrones is, like, five minutes long, which is an exaggeration, but not really. And it's their map that, over episodes or seasons, depending on where you are, they add different pieces to. And... It's 90 seconds. Sorry. I had to look it up. It's 90 seconds, and that's really fucking long. That's pretty long. Um, It's very intricate. Whenever I see it, I always think, like, there's the company whose sole job is to make title sequences. Yep. That has a staff that every episode they get a note that says, add a little thing here. Yep. We're going here. And then they added it. It's just all part of this, like, gross CGI machine. Yep. And it just feels very, like, manufactured. And it's like a Where's Waldo? And you're supposed to be like, oh, I saw the clue. Yep. Exactly. And it's... It's whatever. I don't love the song. And I think people make a bigger deal out of it than they need to. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting device, at least. It was not something that is, like, a frequently used tool. And I think that they use it effectively, if not a little heavy-handedly. <laughs> a little. A little. For contrast, the Outlander yep. title sequence is 39 seconds. It's a glorious 39 seconds. Supposedly. That seems short. I think Google might be lying to me. Mm. Anyway. it's Anyway. Either way, I don't think it's a full 90. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Google told me a lot of lies. <laughs> it's still better used. <laughs> it is better used. And do you want to describe it or do you want me to describe it? You can do it. You're doing a great job. Okay. So the Outlander sequence is heavy-handed in a different way. <laughs> Mainly in terms of tone setting. 
Aaron. <laughs> like, I like the tone that you used when you said that. In tone terms of tone setting. <laughs> so I think I mentioned this during our pilot palooza when we first watched this but when you hit the title sequence you know exactly what you're watching Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're like oh dear god Mm -hmm. (laughs) um the song choice tells you everything you need to know uh they just cut visuals from the show they haven't really added a lot of extra gratuitous visuals sometimes they take like a different angle than they used but it's basically the same footage yeah and they're just used for basically, like, kind of establishing what kind of a show you're watching. Mm-hmm. They do change certain ones every season. Yeah, so they change the arrangement of the music every time mm-hmm. to match sort of what's happening. So when we go to France in season two, it's suddenly a very French-sounding song, but it's the same song. Yep. When we are back in Scotland, it changes into more of, like, a battle-oriented song, kind of. There's more drums and things. Yeah. And they change the visuals a little bit to match that. I think France was the most drastic one, but they do sort of, like, flip pieces in and out while keeping some of the more key shots. (laughs) Except for when they took away Thirsty Shoulder. They took away Thirsty Shoulder (laughs) in Season 3, and I... Haven't forgiven them. <laughs> we were personally attacked. I because those two shots. So it's uh it starts off with a shot of Claire's face from her nose down. Mm-hmm. And she's like staring wistfully into the distance and her mouth is like slightly parted, so she looks thirsty as fuck. And she's on the left side of the screen looking to the right. Yeah. And then the next shot is Jamie's neck down, neck to waist in his, like, kilt, with his kilt pin, and he's entering the screen from the right to the left, uh-huh. and it's just zoomed in on his shoulder and his kilt pin. That's where the focus is. And so it's, like, this thirsty moment. And, like... You're like, je suis prêt. Je suis prêt. And you need it because they're thirsty for each other, but also it's, like, you, they just... Those two are the anchor of the whole story, so why wouldn't the two of them being thirsty for each other, be the anchor of the title sequence. Yeah. I also like, and they alternate on whether they include this or not, but I always feel like they should keep the last shot yes. of them riding on the horse through, like, Scotland corn, as Podlander calls it. Yep. Because that's from, like, in theory, it's not from the first episode, but it harkens back to, like, that basic time, or, like, season one when things were pure and wonderful. And it's also just a good, like, reminder again of the point of the show. Right. Well, it's literally them riding off into the sunset. Yeah. Like, it's literally that. And whenever that gets taken away, like, it got taken away for part of season two, mm-hmm. and it got taken away for part of season three. I think so, yeah. It either came back at the end of the season or it started off the season and then went away. Yeah. But somewhere halfway through season three, its status changed. But whenever that's not there, it, like, impacts my experience of the show. Yeah, because they get you ready to go to, like, dive in and watch it. And you're like, what? What? Well, and it's like, it's like a visual metaphor. It's like, it's all, it's the two of them together riding off into the sunset. Like, there is hope. There is romance. This is the love story. Here we go. 
I'm just so happy that you're so excited about those words. <laughs> Isn't it weird? It's so weird. Kind of makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll actually come back to that when I get to that point that I yelled at you about on Slack the other day. Oh, it might be the same point that I have, to be honest. Oh, but I'm excited. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say about Outlander's title sequence is that part of it feels a little 80s, 90s. Oh, yeah? To me, like, nothing they're doing is technologically advanced, no. which is fine. But some of the shots just feel like they're just very standard, normal, traditional, whatever. They feel like the start of a, like, I don't know, like a, an older movie. Not an hmm. old, old movie, but an older movie. Like it's more classic. Yeah. And then specifically, like, I think the font is at play here, but yeah. I really hate the font. <laughs> I was going to ask if it was the filters. Yeah, sometimes it's the filters. Like, in the season three stuff with, um, what the fuck's her name? Brianna and Roger. Uh-huh. Those yeah. shots have a certain filter that is a little, it's intentionally kind of dating it, but, yeah. um, the title card in particular where they slap a word art font on there, like, <laughs> drives me crazy. And I did find out that that, if my ebook is correct, that font was also used in the print novel from 1992 or whatever. Oh. So, uh, I get it. <laughs> so it is vintage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a little rough for me. That's super funny. This is, like, an issue that's near and dear to my heart because... I personally, not the fonts, title sequences, to be clear. <laughs> I personally have a relationship with title sequences that I haven't heard people talk about much. So I don't know if this is like weird or not. Mm-hmm. Where like title sequences are super important to my ability to watch a show. So like I've watched House of Cards with and without the title sequence. I do not like it if I don't watch the title sequence first. Not that I'm in love with House of Cards, but, like, my experience is far worse if I don't watch the title sequence first. And a lot of people don't like that title sequence. I know. I know. I know so many people who, like, love the Netflix skip intro feature, especially for that show. But I, I like, need the title sequence. I, like, need the time to mentally adjust. I think that's what it is. And I like it, too. Uh, I'm trying to think of any that have, like, really irked me. Um, the Game of Thrones one is is hard for me. Like, that one doesn't actually yeah. do what title sequences usually do for me. Like, it doesn't get me into the spirit of the show. <laughs> it makes me annoyed that I'm going to be here for the next 90 minutes. No, that's like when I go and get my wine if I forgot yeah. to get it before it started. <laughs> like, Right. I think a title sequence that is probably maybe inspired the Outlander one is actually The Wire's. Oh, tell me more. They did a very similar thing with their music, where every season, because every season has a theme in that show, and right. every season they, again, like changed the arrangement of the same song. I think they had a different person sing it, and sometimes it was like, uh, there was one where like kids were singing it, there was oh. another one that was like a little more like jazzy, I think. There's a bunch of different variations every season that helps to sort of like tee you up for what that particular story is going to be that's wild mm-hmm. i actually really in season two when we left france 
I kind of missed the opening for France, like the title sequence that they did, because I feel like that was some of their most effective visuals in their title yeah. sequence. I didn't like that song the most. No, that wasn't my favorite arrangement of the song. Just my favorite visuals. Yeah. I think it, like, really captured where they were and what a shit show it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought of a title sequence that I can't deal with. Ooh, tell me. The Sopranos. Ah. It is long and gratuitous, much like <laughs> all of HBO content. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely have a thing. Yeah. Oh, you know a title sequence I didn't like? I didn't what? watch much of the show, but the Orange is the New Black title sequence. I don't know that I've ever even seen it. I only watched, I watched almost all of season one. I didn't quite finish the season. Mm. Um, so I'm hardly an expert on the show, but I didn't need their title sequence. Yeah. And that's an unpopular opinion. That's one people tend to like. Another one that I didn't like actually was Everwoods. Oh, really? It just had like... A very loud song. <laughs> and it was very, like, it w just irked me every time I heard it. And they did stuff with, like, picture frames, I think, oh, that no. they were trying to make work. It was just bad. That's awful. I have it didn't one help more... with their viewership. No, I'm sure. I have one more non-Outlander show, and then I have one more thing I want to say about Outlander. All right. On this topic. I was um, going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I only have one more thing to say about Outlander for the rest of time. That's what you <laughs> wish I had said. Um, but I thought of this because you said it was a loud song. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time with the Brooklyn Nine-Nine title sequence. Yeah. I have to watch it because that's another show that I don't like as much if I don't watch it. Yeah. Um, I've tested this and watching it definitely improves my experience mm -hmm. but the song drives me crazy yeah that's fair um the last thing i wanted to say about the outlander title sequence is uh -huh. so i i love that song i think that song is beautiful yep it was adapted from a poem and they the poem was originally about a man but it was otherwise the exact storyline of the show yes so <laughs> they just replaced the pronouns and they were like hot damn we nailed it <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't wrong. No. Um, and then the arrangement of it is just incredible. But when I really appreciated how good it really was, was at some point in season three, I can't remember when exactly, I think it was slightly before she uh, went back to the Stones, mm -hmm. um, it suddenly occurred to me that in every season, it meant something different to me. Like, my emotional takeaway from the song was something different. Oh, yeah. Because it's the same, it's telling the same story, but because so many things have changed in Claire's life and Claire's journey, it's like telling a different part of the journey every time. Right. Like, sometimes you're like, oh, remember the good old days? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, um, fuck, what's the line? Hold on, I have to play it in my head Sing me quick. a song? No, no, no. <laughs> um, Fuck, I'm going to have to look up the lyrics because I can't think of them in my head fast enough. I thought you were going to sing it to me. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's one line that after France, like, had a completely different meaning to me. That, like, it, like, now breaks my heart every time I listen to it. Oh, boy. Um, oh, it's the end of the, the second verse. Um, 
all that was good, all that was fair, all that was me is gone. Mm-hmm. That line completely changed for me after France. And <laughs> Counted among the things we lost in France. Exactly! And, you know, it meant something to me in season one, right? Because she had been booted back into time and she lost, you know, everything that was, that she understood as being her. And, like, you know, it has a very literal meaning. But yeah. then after France, like, yeah. now it had this whole new level to it. And then certainly once she goes back to the future and, like... You know, it's one of those things that, like, even though it's telling the same story every time, it could be telling a different part of it. Yeah, it was particularly well chosen. It's just got layers, people. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it doesn't have layers. Gears on a fucking map turning. (laughs) Right? I feel like if you're counting on your opening credits to, like, give people the sneak peek of where they're going to be for the next hour then you've already lost something in your narrative structure. If you need a map to tell your story, forget it. (laughs) Like, you might as well, like, put the map on Twitter before the episode airs and be like, keep this handy walkthrough guide with you as you watch tonight's episode. (laughs) Oh my god. It's so bad. (laughs) Like, imagine if you needed... A map of Hogwarts legitimately to read Harry Potter. Oh my god. That's what this is. It'd be terrible. And I I don't feel any more rooted in my sense of place just because they show me which towns we're going to be in that week. Right. And I've actually, like, since starting Outlander, I looked at Scotland on a map, just, like, out of curiosity. And you can see, like, there's places that they go to that are real places. Uh-huh. But I don't need the map to understand what's happening, no. ever. <laughs> I am perfectly happy to take you at your word that you traveled from this town to this town. <laughs> right. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> I don't need to know, like, the speed at which a dragon can fly from Winterfell <laughs> to fucking, I don't know, desert place. Well, like, because it's not like they show little, like... 3D characters standing in each thing, so it's not like you see who's in Winterfell that week before you get into the episode, so you're like, cool, I don't understand why Bravos matters right now. Right. <laughs> we haven't talked about Bravos in, like, three seasons, so, all right, now sure. what? <laughs> it's just such a, like, cheap storytelling, like, crutch. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Do you want to tell me what you were going to tell me? Uh, Sure. So, here's a thought that came to me out of nowhere the other night. So I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey as I explain how this thought came to me. And then I'm going to wrap it up so that you understand what the point is. Oh, boy. (laughs) Is it related to food? It is not, believe it or not. (laughs) Shocking. I know. Most of your journeys are food related. (laughs) These days. <laughs> it's a vast minefield of vomit out there, people. <laughs> and granola bars this week. <laughs> oh my god. Let me tell you how much I hate a fucking granola bar. <laughs> Dear she god. can't tell you the story in less than ten Snapchats. <laughs> I'm just so angry that I have to eat so many granola bars. 
I don't even like granola bars. Why do I have to eat them all the fucking time? I don't know. Ugh. Dear Lord. <laughs> of all of the people told me I'd have to make sacrifices. I didn't know it would include eating granola bars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Ugh, and you know what? We haven't even talked about crackers. Fuck those bitches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <sighs> I have to like breathe out the righteous hellfire of my fury. Because what I'm about to say is not at all an angry thought. All right. <laughs> you got in your mind space. <laughs> I have to get back to my happy place because instead we're going on a feelings journey. Oh, boy. Which is the only other kind of journey I have. Stop <laughs> <laughs> <Jump> out there. <laughs> okay, so. So, after uh, the last Omnibus episode, I was thinking about some of the conversations that we had. And I was thinking about how <laughs> we there were multiple different occasions where we ended up having friendship feelings, but the thing that started it was not necessarily a friendship plot. Yeah. And I was thinking about how that is not the only time that that's happened. Like, that has happened in offline conversations that we've had about Outlander, where, like, the show somehow has the ability to, like... Just give you feelings about all the people in your life, even though it's supposed to be a story about these two married people. Yeah. And I was, like, trying to poke at that, because that is, like, a pretty buck-wild thing to be able to do. It is. And I feel like where I came to is that there's something about this show that at least wants to appeal to, like, your best impulses. Yeah. And, like, your deepest desires for the people in your life, like, the things that you want for them. Because there's so much of the show that's about, like, trying to be noble and trying to be good and, like, trying to do right by the people in your life. Even though these people make very bad decisions and do a lot of bad things and fuck a lot of stuff up, it feels like it's always rooted in best intentions. Yeah. And I... I So I had said to you that I had had this thought, and it was interesting because I wasn't sure if Game of Thrones had an equivalent. <laughs> because I'm not sure that I want to say that Game of Thrones appeals to your worst impulses, but it it kind of does, right? Like, it kind of revels in, like, being gross and dark and showing bad people doing bad things. I think you're on to something. It didn't go much further than that because it, like... I mean, I sat for, like, a day on this whole idea that, like, Outlander gives me so many good feelings, even though a lot of bad things happen. Mm-hmm. But they're, it's like the spirit of it is different. Totally. Because when you read, like, interviews with the Daves or with George R. R. Martin, even, they all talk about how, like, what they think is interesting about the show is that it's about how people become bad the more they pursue power, and power corrupts you, and there's no way to engage in power without becoming corrupt. And, like, people are so dark, and 
whatever. It's like, it's very much about the worst in people and in society. And there's yeah. definitely a bias in fiction that, like, serious stories are about people's worst impulses and the worst aspects of humanity. Well, look at, like, the trend of basically peak TV from yeah. The Sopranos to Breaking Bad and Mad Men and, like, all these stories about average people who do bad things. Yep. And maybe let's glorify it a little bit while we watch them ruin their lives. Right, exactly. Everyone loves a good antihero. Yeah. But there's something more compelling, to me at least, about people who are trying to, like, make their way in this world from a place of best intentions, who accidentally fuck up a lot, but are still trying to do what's right. I feel like you're on to something bigger about our entire brand. <laughs> <laughs> There's just, like, there's just a lot of feelings wrapped up in here. No, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. I sort of, I hand that to you. (laughs) Here you go. Great. This is my thought. It's yours now, too. Yeah. I'm kind of stuck here, too. (laughs) But I think you're right. I think that the... That is more appealing, at least to me. Yeah. As a consumer of content, I think that if you want to call in things like Jane the Virgin, that definitely falls into that category as well, even though there's, like, weird, like, telenovela murders and stuff (laughs) on that show all the time. Yeah, I was thinking about it, too, in terms of, like, Parks and Rec and The Good Place, where it's, you know, it's that same thing of, like, building a complex story out of goodness, which has often been the thing that's thought of as being, like, more trite. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I feel like this maybe explains why, like, Blackjack is a better villain than Ramsey, but I feel like there's more complexity if you say, like, here's a good person with healthy relationships who's swept up in something awful that they can't, like, get themselves out of because they're still trying to, like, protect the people they love, versus, like, This person doesn't care about anyone and just likes to fuck shit up. Well, like, look at the stakes between those two options. (laughs) Like, one of those is compelling and the other one is kind of boring. Right. And I don't care so much, like, what happens to the antihero who's doing his 1600th shitty thing. Right. Because they've built that for themselves. Like, that's what happens when you fuck shit up. Right. Whereas when Claire's a bad time traveler, (laughs) like, it's a little harder. Well, even when, like, they do a bunch of real bad shit in France, Uh like, they're trying to change history, literally. They're trying to change the makeup of the future. Yeah. To avoid this, like, catastrophe that destroys all of Scotland and kills everyone they love. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, like, if I want to bring it back to Game of Thrones a little bit, like, none of those characters are really doing anything for a greater good beyond their own personal vendettas. No, it's true. Everyone's just trying to sit on the Iron Throne or avenge someone. And that's so boring. Yeah. Well, and these days, I don't even understand what the stakes are, because it's like, 
are we all still fighting about the Iron Throne or are we like worried about the White Walkers? I'm confused. Right. <laughs> Which I guess like the narrative tension is that everyone is confused. <laughs> is this an allegory about the environment or no? <laughs> Remains to be seen. <laughs> I just, I, it's like, it's fine if the characters want to, like, fight over which one of the two is important, but, like, I'd like to know which one of the two is important. Yeah, and even if, let's make another comparison. Sure. <laughs> about sitting on the Iron Throne. Let's talk about the really contentious dynamics between Colum McKenzie, Dougal McKenzie, and Jamie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who... I don't even know if they want to be in charge, <laughs> but no. there sure is some complicated things there. Well, Jamie certainly doesn't want to be. No, but he rightfully could be. Right. Which is part of the issue. Right. Yeah, that's and true. Dougal wants that power, but also isn't suited for it. Right. And then Colum, like, is good at it, but can't also fulfill part of it. Right. Many parts of it. Right. That is an interesting comparison, because that's, like, one of the other few things that's a direct line between the two. There is, I forget sometimes, being out of season one this long, that there is, like, still a whole, like, drama over houses. Yeah. There really is. That's really funny. Yeah. But, all right, can we switch gears a little? Yes. I want to talk about... The perception of Outlander as a Game of Thrones for women. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited about this. Talk to me about it. I think I think you. I want you to talk to me about it, but but um, it just kind of it's not wrong, but it is very wrong at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I personally. I'm not sure that I totally understand it, like understand how that even came to be, other than the fact that it's a love story, which like, if all we're talking about here is like romance automatically pigeonholing a text, then like, why the fuck does the internet spend so much time trying to figure out if John and Danny were going to bone down? Yeah. All Side note, that is the most unromantic piece of shit content that I've ever seen in my goddamn life. <laughs> yes, there is not a single relationship on Game of Thrones that I've ever given a fuck about, and don't come at me about Ned and Catelyn Stark, because they sucked too. My bullet point, in all caps, is Game of Thrones ain't got a rom-com. True that. True that. Not a single one. Not once, and not never. If there is one hill that I will die on, it is finding the rom-com in anything. Yep. Yeah, I actually... I. Gave you some shit about this at the end of last season. I can't remember if it was John and Danny or who else, but there was yeah, someone was. where I was it like, was. "Is this the rom com?" And no, you were like, "Nah, it's son." So bad and gross and fan servicey and unnecessary and um, what's that word? Incestuous. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. But anyway. Anyway, so it it's frustrating to me in that sense. It's frustrating to me, too, because I think that so many of the other things we've talked about throughout this whole conversation are, like, the reasons that it's been pigeonholed. So the fact that there's emotional complexity 
Yeah. And that, like, characters can talk openly about their feelings and, like, stupid things like that. I also happen to know from the conversations that have come out since I've started revealing to people that I watch Outlander that the fact that the sex is better seems to be a reason why people think it's a show for women. Well, I think that that the sex is framed for women is a real reason. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't heard anyone really articulate that effectively, though. I think I've heard a little bit of, like, the... The story is being told from Claire's perspective, and mm. you often see, like, her actual gratification of it yeah. versus Jamie's or Frank's. But, like, straight men, isn't that the whole point of being attracted to women? No, right, right, Like, right. I'm asking this <laughs> genuinely. Isn't the whole point of having sex with women that women are hot? So... I think... Well, from what I've been told, (laughs) when I offered to my boyfriend, I said, watch Outlander because the sex is really good. Yeah. He said, that's what porn is for. (laughs) Yeah, and I've gotten that response too, but if that's the case, then why the fuck is there so much sex on Game of Thrones? I don't know, and it's like, it's... Yeah, it's not good sex on Game of Thrones. It's power sex. It's all power sex. And you know, there are plenty of sex scenes that are not that much different than the sex between Claire and King Louis. True. You know, there are plenty of sex scenes in Game of Thrones where it's literally like the dude just stuck his dick in and called it a day. Right. But I think, like, the other factor, and it may not... I don't think it's a for-women thing, but I think it's sometimes not what everyone comes to television for, is that it's... No, it's not action-packed in a lot of senses, especially at first. It's very chatty. Right. It reminds me more of, like, watching The Crown. Yeah, that's true. And that's just a different type of content. I don't think that would necessarily pigeonhole it as a Game of Thrones alternate, but it is very chatty and slow and meticulous and kind of, like, it takes a while to get going at full speed. But then there's plenty of stuff in it that is the same content that appeals to Game of Thrones watchers, which is, like, the battle sequences and the intrigue over power and who wields it. Right. Like, there's plenty of that stuff in there. Are Game of Thrones watchers getting off on, like, the scale of the battle? Yeah, so that was actually my last note, which we don't have to change gears yet. But my last note was about, like the budget and effects in each show and the impact it has on the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I do think there's some extent to which, like, Game of Thrones is just a testosterone-packed, like, pissing match. Of course it is. And and that's all it is, which Outlander is like a story that people put a lot of time and effort into. (laughs) And thought. (laughs) Yeah, and thought. And, like, there, there are more men than women in the cast. There are more men than women in the production. Yep. And so it's not like this is some giant, like, feminist, like, cuddle puddle. Right. It's just, I've said this before, it's just a story in which women, both real-life producers slash people on the crew and characters, are allowed to be human beings and function that way in the story, and therefore 
achieve feminism. Yeah. I think there's some points in the beginning of season one where they're almost, like, hitting the nail on the head a little bit too hard. Sure. Where they're like, a woman can do this, and it's like, okay, okay, (laughs) I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, that was when they were still trying to figure out the balance between modern and not modern. Right, I think that any show has sort of, like, a few episodes to figure out what they're doing, and I don't fault them for it. Yeah, for sure. One thing that stood out to me in terms of things that Game of Thrones love that happened to work really well in Outlander for different reasons was dick jokes. Yeah! (laughs) And I noticed it in, like, episode four or five. You caught it before I did. It was whenever they were... I think the beginning of the road trip. Yeah. Um, when they go and collect rents from all these different people. And there's a scene where they're at, Claire's the only woman with the group, and she's new still and not trusted by anyone. And they're all camping and eating dinner, and they start making dick jokes. Yep. Like, exactly, you could take it out of Game of Thrones and plop it into Outlander. That's how accurate it was. Uh, and similar It was literally, was- like, the scene where they all, like, stick their fingers up each other's butts. Right. But the effect was so different because it was being used as a way to alienate her from the group. Yep. And it wasn't being used to make us laugh about dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's something weird that happens in historical fiction where first, and I mean, I don't know enough about history to understand why this is such a thing in historical fiction. So if you do explain it to me, but where like, they're like, oh, it's medieval times. Look at how crude they yeah. can be. So we must talk about dicks and poop constantly. Right. And this, this was not that. This was them being like, we're men. Right. Let's make you uncomfortable on purpose. Right. Because we want you to know that you don't matter. And then it comes full circle because at the end of the episode, after you've watched her, like, building relationships with these people, one of the guys is making a dick joke and she, like, calls him out on it and, like, essentially makes a joke about how he can't get laid. And all the men think it's funny. And now it's like, haha, she's included. Right. It had a purpose. It had a purpose. (laughs) It told a story. Ugh, it wasn't Dave's just like... could learn so much. <laughs> and that's like, to me, that's like the biggest difference between the two and the beauty of it is there's so many different things you can look at between the two shows where Game of Thrones just does it, but Outlander does it with purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it's true of all the sex scenes. It's true of the violence. It's true of the rape or any of the attempted rapes. It's true of the dick jokes. like they do it with such purpose and when you listen to like any of the writers or producers or directors talk about those moments they will tell you the whole thought process behind it and why they chose to use that as a narrative tool and i have never heard the daves express a similar sentiment when they have made those choices they don't even know why things happen on their show they're like because it because it happened I need to go back and find, like, I am tempted to go back and watch all the behind the episodes from the last season. Cause <laughs> Don't do that, There's <laughs> one. No, there's one. And I have to find this quote because I want to be able to pull it out whenever I need it. Accidental dick joke. Call it <laughs> <out>. But, 
<laughs> mark me. But he's one of the Daves, the littler Dave, says something about Danny's plotline that episode that boils down to like, Danny does the thing because of the thing. <laughs> and I was like, that's the whole talking head? That's all we're going to get out of you? You definitely talked about it in one of our uh, bind-offs. I did. That's actually what I should go back and listen to, because that's better. Yeah, at least listen to us talk and not the Daves. <laughs> I've tried Googling for the quote, and I haven't been able to find it on the internet. But it was, like, it was, like, such a crystallizing moment for me, because I was like, you are the producer and the writer. You are so deeply involved in this episode, and this is, like, one of the pivotal plot lines, and all you can tell me about it is that it happened. Do you think if the Daves were forced to watch Outlander, it would break their brains? I have always wondered. It's actually really funny because Ron Moore, in uh, in his podcast for the show, will yeah. every once in a while drop hints where you know the only other point of reference is Game of Thrones, but he doesn't name them by name. Yeah. So he's done it when he's talked about the sex in the show, where, like, they'll have a sex scene and then they'll be like, ah, do we need it? No, we don't. And they'll take it out of the script, which, like, <laughs> that's wild. Oh, yeah. And he he'll, he has said things before, like, there are other shows that, you know, show sex more often. And we know our audience wants it more often, but, like, we use it for a purpose. And it's like, sick burn, Fergus. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> He said the same thing about violence before, too. <laughs> it's like they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. It's such a missed opportunity to me that this is pigeonholed as a show for women. I know. I what, what just did come to my mind, too, is like the casting in Game of Thrones. There seems to be no like jiving between any of the actors on that show. Agreed. And it, you don't really notice it until you think about it in terms of other things. And you're like, wait, everything is so stiff and awkward. And, like, there's nothing working in their favor there. Yeah. There's no rhythm at all. No. Whereas, like, you can see on Outlander how a lot of their casting choices are, like, good fits. Yep. Chem like, chemistry-wise. Yeah, I would be interested to watch, like, the chemistry reads that they did during casting on Game of Thrones, if they even did them. Like, I'm pretty sure that the John and Danny chemistry read is, like, a zero. And I wonder, too, like, how much of that is impacted by when the casting was done versus, like, how the story has developed. Yeah. But... If that's the case, you would still think that there would have been a way to, like, develop the story to account for the fact that you didn't cast those two people to actually interact much. Right. But even people who are meant to interact, like, don't do a good job of it. That's true. That's very true. Now that you mention it, I can't think of anyone, any two characters who have, like, a compelling bond. Right. Like, at one point... Tyrion and that other guy kind of did when they were traveling together, but even that was, like, oh, irritating. Oh, his little sidekick? Yeah. Podrick. Yeah. Yeah. No, not Pod. Oh, not Pod? No, wasn't he friends with that... I don't know. I don't know. He was traveling Oh, the, the like, sellsword guy. Yeah. That guy. 
Yeah. yeah. I guess they they were. You know who you know who friends. in chemistry is the scaly guy. <laughs> Lord Friendzone and Danny had more chemistry than anyone else in that goddamn that, show, and he, he had a STD. <laughs> <laughs> that's really upsetting. But I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. And like. Like, Sam Hewen literally had more chemistry with whoever the fuck the lead actress was in a Prince for Christmas or whatever fucking movie that was. You've taken us full circle! (laughs) (laughs) Also, Sam Hewen made a Great British Bake Off (laughs) reference on his Instagram post today, and I've never felt so much joy in my whole life. It was really well played. Oh... That man. He's so good. They're so good. <laughs> I also just don't like anyone from the cast as much as I like the cast of Outlander. Like, attraction-wise? No, like, human-wise. Like ability. Okay. Like, as human beings. Yeah. And it could just be, like, I've mentioned before that I don't like getting into actors' lives because I feel like it impacts characters for me, which is dumb and whatever. It's my own issue. And I just know less about the Outlander actors, because they're not on press tour every fucking day. Right. But I just, I like them better. Um, The last thing that I had on my list uh-huh. is um, the difference between the budgets and their special effects and, like, all the other sort of production behind the curtain related things. Mm-hmm. And the impact that it has on narrative quality between the two shows. This could be a thesis. It, I I want that book to be written. Because <laughs> we once ran a group of, of thesis ideas. Yeah. You, where we just serve them up for people for free. So you can take this one too. You know, that subreddit still exists. I wish people used it. it. People did for a little while. It had a pretty short life after we stopped moderating it, but it did continue. And, like, someone posted something that had something to do with, like, physics or some shit. Huh. It was, like, a legitimate thesis. Well, if any of you are uh, television studies people or working on <laughs> narrative episodic theory or whatever that Catherine did... Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Please take this idea and then send it to us. Yes. It might be my maternity leave project. Although I already have a thesis that needs to be written about career women and downward dogs. So my plate <laughs> is pretty full. <laughs> oh my God. Will you please write a medium article about that? <laughs> I'm long overdue. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a re-release of downward dog on your maternity leave. Oh my god, those were really underappreciated episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Some of our best work here on Hate Watch with us. Oh man. <laughs> anyway. So, anyway. I thought of this a lot while listening to the official podcast. Yeah. For Outlander. Because they talk a lot about the nitty gritty of the production, obviously. And right. A lot of what their budget was spent on is, like, mostly uh, shooting on sets, or location, rather. So it's, like, all the traveling around Scotland. But then also, like, the costuming and whatnot. Yeah. And 
as time has gone on, they've spent more on effects, but, like, effects is not generally the thing they do the most of. Yep. Versus Game of Thrones, where all the producers talk about, all of the writers talk about the production as being the important part of the show. Like, the only reason Battle of the Bastards got as many think pieces as it did is because there was so much hype leading up to it about the production value. Is it that, like, Game of Thrones, it turns out, is just run by a bunch of, like, nerd boys? And I mean that, I like nerds, but not these nerds. Yeah. Versus, like, Ron Moore is a storyteller. Yeah, that's exactly the angle I was coming at this from. Is It's the difference between wanting to create a spectacle yeah. and wanting to create a story. I feel like Outlander is, like, thoughtfully crafted and everything that goes into it is part of like this broader craft and the focus is the story mm-hmm. and i feel like in game of thrones the focus is the product and yeah like there's a story inside of the product and that's like how you get people to watch it but like it's really about this machine that we've created and the money that they've just <laughs> sunk from hbo right right in my mind it's not it's not unrelated to the fact that, like, the 30-minute sitcom exists so that networks have a reason to sell advertisements. Mm. You know, like, you'll sit down and watch whatever drivel they put out so that we can sell advertisements. Game of Thrones is like, you'll sit down and watch whatever drivel we put out because look at dragons. And I get the sense that, like, if Outlander had more money, I don't think that they would change a lot of what they're doing. Well, no, because even... When they've had opportunities to do bigger things or whatever, they've chosen not to. Like, they had, I think it was in season three, they had this whole thing that they were trying to do on a boat, and they ran out of budget, so they ended up not doing it on the boat. But when they tried to do it on the boat in the first place, it didn't work well, so it was better to do it the cheap way anyway. Yeah. I can't remember the specifics of it, but, like, they still ended up making the cheaper choice because it worked better for what they were trying to achieve. I do wish someone would take away their drone. Yeah, I no no more of that, please. They had one beautiful shot of the ship. Yeah. That's all you get. Sailing off into the distance and that's like more than I need. Yeah. Everybody gets one. Yeah. Otherwise one day with the drone. <laughs> Otherwise we know what drones do. <laughs> right. They're the cheap helicopter, I get it. <laughs> Just like Panning shots are not needed in general. I'm not proud yeah. of your panning shot. So like unless I, it's unless it's Scotland porn, then I want it. Sure, but even just like this much of it. Yeah. Not like yeah. so much of it that you've got a fucking drone. Right. But yeah, I think I feel like too with Game of Thrones, as it's become a bigger and bigger phenomena and they've been given more budget and more time and focus has been put on the special effects, it I think, like, the correlation between that and the downturn of the narrative quality is pretty damn hard to ignore. It is. And I also, if you want to talk about costumes for a second, <laughs> like, Game of Thrones costumes, there was, the fact that there was an article about them maybe using an Ikea rug. Oh, it's not even as, a maybe. It's been confirmed. Okay. Using an Ikea I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. No, it's um, been confirmed by their costume department. Excellent. So they're buying from Ikea to use as costumes. Right. And Terry Dressbach is, like, hand-making 
hundreds of authentic 1700s costumes with like beautiful fabrics and like knits and tweeds and all this stuff. And you can tell when you're looking at the product <laughs> that one looks like a bad like high school adaptation of Shakespeare <laughs> and one looks like a quality product that had a lot more budget than it actually probably did. Yeah. Yeah, she's on like a shoestring budget. She literally goes to like thrift stores in LA. Yeah. And like has to piece shit together. She had a story in one of the episodes of the podcast about them making a coat or dress or something. And it took them weeks and weeks and it was like this whole thing. But it was a color that wasn't used at the time because they didn't have the dye. Oh. And they didn't find it out until like 48 hours before they were supposed to shoot the scene. So they had to build a whole new costume. Oh, no. (laughs) In that time. And they did it. And the costume they built ended up being better than the original one that wasn't historically accurate. But, like, that attention to detail... Yeah. ...is amazing, versus, like, the Daves would be like, well, it only takes a day to fly to Ikea (laughs) in Winterfell by Dragon, or 17 episodes by Road. Well, and think about the fact that, like, like, they don't have white cotton shirts, and all of the shirts are, like, kind of rough-hewn, because they would have reused everything that they mm-hmm. had at the time and just, like, kept re-sewing it into new garments. Which I mentioned is one of my favorite things about this whole show. It's a really important detail, and it comes up again and again. Like, there are other places where Terry, like, slips that in. Yeah. But in Game of Thrones, Danny finds out that she has five minutes to fly to the wall on a dragon. <laughs> she gets of, a new North Face. <laughs> she gets a new fucking all-fur North Face. <laughs> <laughs> like... I guess that that coat is, like, a feat of sewing or something. But, I guess. But, like, she li- like someone comes and is like, John's in trouble. Or I don't, I don't even actually remember why she had to go to the wall. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they're like, go with your dragon. And, and, like, where did the coat come from? Well, like, where do, where do any of their clothes come from? Because <laughs> they don't travel with them, and yet they have them. Constantly. Well, Whereas, and, like, Claire reuses the same few pieces and just puts them in different, like, combinations. Yeah, yeah. In season one, she only had, like, six garments, and they would just rotate them. Right. I just, yeah. Every choice on Outlander is better than every choice on Game of Thrones. That's true. Well, like, full stop. If you want to come full circle on, like, the point you were making at the beginning, it adds an element of realism that grounds you in the universe. Like, it helps you understand the limitations of these people and the time that they're living in. Right. They're not living in a time of Amazon Prime where you can get a North Face <laughs> jacket on sale right before you got to head up to the wall. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you can't just send fur coats through the dick rocks. No, you can't. But you can take a raincoat. <laughs> you can take a raincoat. Rain and penicillin. <laughs> you know what bugged me about the penicillin? What? I'm no doctor, so I don't know this for sure. But I'm pretty sure you have to, like, at least in the vial that hers was in, that you have to, like, refrigerate that shit. So how was she keeping it from spoiling? As she, like, roamed about the countryside. (laughs) It's cold in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) Nature's refrigerator. (laughs) I'm more peeved that she only brought three. Yeah, well, I mean, she only had so many pockets. But we've already, like, used almost all of it up. She used the last of it on the boat in season three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
When they had turtle soup sex. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I tried not to remember, but I remember. <laughs> well, no, that was the good sex. That was before yeah, the boat sex. Yeah, that one wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was weird because that guy was listening, but, you know. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> Unless there's, wait, like, sex position. Wait. wait, don't Danny and John have sex on a boat? Is that on a boat? I think it is on a boat. Hot damn. Boat and sex. Tyrion listens. Tyrion does listen. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're accidentally full circle. Yes. I completely forgot that that's how that one goes down. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's so gross. <laughs> but then, like, someone completely different, like, thousands of miles away is the one doing the sex position. What? You know, like exposition, but sex. But who's a thousand miles away? Oh, um, isn't it, uh, it's some old guy explaining it to Sam, I think. Oh, sure. Or maybe it's Bran explaining it to someone. There's weird voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's explaining it to someone as they're boning down. So like John's (laughs) thrusting and they're like, yeah, he's her brother. (laughs) Or whatever. (laughs) even know what their relationship is it's important to note that you retain nothing from game of thrones (laughs) i watched the whole show i promise no it's because it's so bad it's not your fault she's his aunt blame the daves that's what it is there's there's just so much happening i don't know speaking of gratuitous things that are unnecessary it's so gratuitous Anyway. Yeah. If there's stuff that we missed, you know how to find us. If you want to shout at the Daves or about the Daves, you can find us literally anytime. <laughs> literally anytime. We are always here for that one. We'll even Skype you, maybe. <laughs> you make a lot of bold promises on this show, my friend. No one's taken me up on any of them. I know. Guys, you have missed so much good shit in the Slack channel recently. Truly. Truly. And we're about to come back for a new season of Outlander. Someday. <laughs> Eventually. About is maybe loose terms, but in the fall. There's a lot that has to happen before then. <laughs> Quite a few things. <laughs> uh, but anyway. At least by then I'll, I won't have to eat any more granola bars. <laughs> no. Guys, they make Outlander wine. Ugh. I'm going to go to Kiersey's, we're going to hang yes. out with her kid, then yeah. we're going to put that kid to bed yeah. and watch Outlander <laughs> yeah. and drink wine. Drink so much wine. <laughs> the most wine. And some whiskey. And very quietly shout, mark me! Mark me! Mark me! <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Kiersey's husband is going to be really happy about it. Yeah, he's going to have the best time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we told the good people they can find us, but uh, where where would that be? They can find us at Hate Watch With Us on Twitter. They can send us an email at hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> I got this far. <laughs> it's been such a week, guys. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> whatever. I'm you can sorry. also. It's only funny if you know you as a person. <laughs> 
You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you have any suggestions for content that we should do while Kirstie's on maternity leave and I'm flying solo, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Don't tell Kirstie, just me. <laughs> It'll be a surprise. It's, it's a touchy subject. Yeah. Uh, no, but we'll figure it out. We'll have content for you. We will. But you could also help us out because content's really hard. Yeah, if there's anything that you've been wanting us to talk about, you can make us talk about anything. It's true. If We're very really open to, to listener feedback. Yeah. Um. Anyway, you can find our friends at Thought Bubble Audio all over the internet. Particular shout out to Tim and Frank at Beer with Geeks, who have been our biggest fans lately. <laughs> all the shows in Thought Bubble Universe are really good, though, so you should check them out. And they've got a bunch of new shows coming out. Mm-hmm. Like, even Tim and Frank keep forgetting what they all are. <laughs> it's tough to be a network manager. <laughs> That's why they pay him the big bucks, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, they've got a Patreon if you want to pay them the big bucks. Oh, yeah. Do that. Do that. All right. Is that everything? I think that's everything. Guys, this was our last omnibus, unless you can think of anything you want us to talk about. Me or them? Both, everyone. <laughs> this is our last omnibus for now, but the bus will be back in motion, like the magic school bus. <laughs> what a metaphor. In September? I believe so. Yeah. So I don't know that we'll do bind-offs because it's a long season, but we're going to do some check-ins. We will, for sure. It'll be great. You'll hear from us. Yeah. And every episode is an Outlander episode if you try hard enough, <laughs> as we've learned. <laughs> Our next bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Uh, the miracle of life. It's glamorous. <laughs>